Hi there, James Wedmore here. I'm host of the Mind Your Business podcast and founder of the Rapid Growth System for online experts looking to scale their business, business by design. And if you don't know me, I've actually been running an online business for the past 15 years now, and I primarily do that with digital products. And I don't think I need to tell you that digital products are hands down the most profitable and fulfilling business model that exists online. Think about it. What else allows you to take your genius, your wisdom, your expertise, and package it in a way that you build it once and continue to get it into the hands of thousands, reach people all over the world, and start getting paid to make a difference? That's what I've done, and chances are, if you're listening to this, that's what you want to be doing as well. But let's face it, it's hard. Is super overwhelming. And everyone seems to be teaching that one thing. Like you have to be doing this to be successful or this is the answer to get more customers or this is the platform or tool you need to be on in order to reach more people. But the problem is business is not whittled down to just one thing. And until you take a holistic approach to running your business, chances are you'll be missing more than one thing. And that's where I come in. This June, I am hosting the first of three live training workshops called The Rise of the Digital CEO. In this training, you're going to walk through and see behind the curtain of my eight-figure digital product-based business so you can see the exact five gears that run my entire business. Whether you're just starting out or you're struggling to sell your course or you're ready to scale it and take to the next level, you're going to see what today's most successful digital CEOs are doing differently to attract more clients and customers and sell more of their digital products. To step into the role that your business needs, head on over to businessbydesign.net forward slash rise. I've heard different ways of going about structuring pricing for that monthly accounting or bookkeeping generally i will offer up a menu or a slate of standard services that i provide i really don't like to go below 500 dollars a month and part of that you know that may sound expensive to some startups or whatever but on a smaller scale you know i'm, I'm one person right now i have minimal overhead which is great but i don't want to penalize my clients for when I do bring people on and have overhead. So for them to absorb a huge price shock when that happens would not be fair. So, you know, I'm starting at a level where I think I can slowly increase the fees over time. And it's not going to be such a sticker shock to them because you always hear the story of clients changing accountants because one year they just got an astronomical bill out of nowhere. Or they need to increase their fees significantly. So I think, at the bare minimum for a small startup, $500 a month, which is six grand a year. I That sits about right with me and, and I don't really mm-hmm. have a scientific answer to that. I mean, I know obviously what my overhead is and sort of the hours it would go into a job like that, but it's sort of a gut feeling too. And also, you know, I've, I think that's working for me right now because I have not had many rejections on that price, yeah. which has been good. Hey, and welcome to the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast. I'm Serena Shoup. I am a CPA and mom of three, and I'm running a virtual bookkeeping business mostly from my home. 
you're in the right place if you're a bookkeeper, accountant, or an accounting student, and you know that your purpose is bigger than sitting in a cubicle. If you're ready to learn some actionable tips and strategies to help you start and grow a bookkeeping or accounting business, I hope you stick around. Welcome back to the Ambitious Bookkeeper Podcast. I'm your host, Serena Shoup. This is part of our niche series. As part of this series spanning July and August, you'll be listening in on interviews with niche bookkeepers and accountants. I thought it would be really inspirational and super valuable to bring on bookkeepers and accountants who have built niche firms to take you behind the curtain of what it looks like to get to the point of serving in a specific niche. My hope is that you'll gain the inspiration and information that will help you hone in on your niche, or if you already have one, find different ways to help your clients. I'll be asking some similar questions of each of our guests, like what their minimum fee is, how they got into their niche, and what their firm team structure looks like. I'm super excited to bring this to you, and I hope that you enjoy. If you're ready to hone in on your own niche and build a bookkeeping business that gives you the life that you want, check out the Bookkeeping Business Accelerator by going to ambitiousbookkeeper.com BBA. The link is also in the show notes. If finding a perfect fit client is something that you've needed, check out my mini course, The Bookkeeping Client Closer. Go to ambitiousbookkeeper.com slash closer. All the links will be in the show notes. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast. As you know, this is one of our niche series or niche series, however you want to say it, podcast. And I have a guest um, named Sean Coggins. And he is a book, you do bookkeeping or tax? I didn't ask you that before. Everything except tax. Every, everything <laughs> except tax. Yep, including around, audit. Including audit. Oh, this is yeah. going to be a fun conversation. Okay. <laughs> so since, since I had to involve you in the intro anyway, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, the industries that you specialize in, and we'll go from there. Sure. Well, thanks for the intro. As you know, you mentioned I'm Sean Coggins. I'm <laughs> residing on the East Coast in Maryland, close to the Annapolis area. So a bit about my background. I was with RSM, big, you know, top five firm for a number of years, about eight or nine years in the audit department. And then from there, I sort of switched to a smaller local firm in the Annapolis area for a couple of years before I had gotten the entrepreneurial itch to jump out on my own. So Currently, I've been out on my own full time since October of 22, so less than a year, which is exciting. Congratulations. And scary all at the same time. Yeah. But I, like I had just mentioned, I focus on everything except tax. So I have the traditional audit background, as well as, you know, the CAS or monthly accounting, whatever we want to label it now, because there's a lot of labels out there, which I, you know, had some experience in my smaller firm in Annapolis as well as, you know, working as that outsourced controller slash CFO role, some general business consulting. So I figured you know, might as well offer it all while I can and see what's working and what's going to be working for my growth in the future. Yeah. So before we hit record, you were talking about entering into another niche because of some recent legislation changes in your area. So <laughs> yeah, certainly. Sorry, I forgot that part of the question. Yeah. <laughs> so the industries that I have a lot of experience in, you know, traditionally more in the real estate as well as the technology side. And then I also have a lot of experience in the manufacturing distribution side. 
But a unique niche that I'm going to start to enter into is the cannabis industry. And that has got a lot of popularity here in Maryland because as of five days ago on July 1 of 23, it became recreationally legal for the adult use. Traditionally, over the past couple of years, it was just medically available. So you needed a medical cannabis card to purchase it, but it just became a free and open market. And with that, the state of Maryland is going to issue about, I believe it's in the tune of 200 more licenses. So currently there's about 130, I believe, current outstanding, and they're essentially going to triple the market. So that's going to lead to a lot more businesses. And when more businesses come into the landscape, there's a lot more an accounting need. And as you can imagine, it's a highly regulated industry. Yeah. Have you already been developing a marketing plan or relationships in that industry preparing for this? Yeah, no, I have. And that was part of my go-to-market strategy since I've been out on my own. So I've met with a lot of different people in a lot of different areas. So I've met with some retail dispensary owners, had lunch with them, got my name out there. I've met with a lot of people in the legal landscape too, some of the top minds, top lawyers in the state regarding cannabis. And I've actually partnered up with another accounting firm too, to help me get more experience in this field on in their audit department. I don't, I don't know if you want me name dropping anyone, but I've been partnering up with the Cone Resnick public accounting firm. So helping them in their audit department with their cannabis audits. That is so smart. Yeah. I'm so glad you gave like some amazing bullet points that I'm like, okay, here's the, <laughs> here's the value that people are going to get from this. Like no matter what the industry is, like you're meeting with people in that industry that are opening businesses yep. and that, that could go with any business that, you know, is already open or whatever. You're meeting with people in that industry and you're not there pitching them, right? You're just there having conversation. Like, let's just have lunch. That's exactly I'm just it. trying to build relationships. And honestly, it's great for me too, because I'm absorbing so much knowledge from so many different avenues, you know, from the legal aspect, from the business owner aspect, from the large public accounting firm aspect, because with my contract with that Cone Resnick firm, they service a lot of multi-state operators, a lot of the big players in the game they service. But I'm also talking with people who are owning the small business type model retail dispensaries and figuring out what their pain points are. How are they tracking their inventory? How are they managing their books currently? Yeah, but this is super exciting. And like, you're in a, you're in a really good position because like it just went legal. So you've already been building these relationships, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, I've, I guess it got the vote passed for turning this legal July 1, it it passed back in November of 22. So people have been planning for this. There's been a lot of lead up time. And, you know, I've just been talking with a lot of people over the last year of what that landscape looks like, what the needs are, who the major players are, how these businesses are structured. There's a lot of complexity that goes into it, especially from the banking aspect too. You know, a lot of the major banks don't touch it because it's not federally legal. So you're really centralized on your state owned or local banks to be servicing these companies. Yeah. That was going to be my other question. Cause I know that you're like, I, I always recommend people make connections with other, other service providers that service the same type of clients. So like your mm-hmm. lawyers, your bankers, 
things like that. Have you made relationships with local bankers as well? Yeah, I have. So one of them, I would say, is probably one of the major players in the state of Maryland, too, which has been good. So, yeah, just trying to reach out to everyone, attending virtual like webinars and stuff with other accountants in the industry. And then Mm -hmm. actually next week here, I'm going to be attending a conference in Baltimore just to sort of get my name out there and, you know, see what different you know, I don't want to say it's it's like a vendor show for that specific industry, but there's a lot of other types of businesses that will be supporting that industry from a technology side, you know, from a logistical side, like a packaging side. And a lot of different businesses are going to help support and pump up that industry. So I'm sure they're going to need some help too. Yeah, that's that's so true. And that's that's something that because you have the the experience in manufacturing distribution, like that's really smart of you to also like look at the other, I guess, verticals within an industry. So it's like that you could help them too, and also build those connections for potential referrals, but also like for your services. And that's something that I think I talked about on one of the other podcast interviews I did where she, you know, she has her main niche that she markets toward, but ends up getting people that are kind of like ancillary type services that are connected in the same industry, but might not be exactly the same business model, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. No, that yeah. that's great. And honestly, technology plays into it too, because for instance, in the state of Maryland, well, with all states, they have to comply with a track and trace accounting system, well, not accounting system, but a track and trace IT system. So the mm-hmm. state will track every single plant from the time that it reaches a certain stage. So it, as soon as it sprouts out of the ground, all the way to the time it gets to the consumer's hands, they call it seed to sale. Mm-hmm. What that means is they put an RFID tag on each plant, and then that feeds into an inventory management system, which then gets uploaded into the state's plant management system. So with that, there's a lot of technologies around that to help some of these growers. You know, you have an indoor warehouse with 10,000 plants in it. How are you going to find plant number one, two, three, four, five, six when the state comes to look for it? So there are some technologies out there which use, it's almost like a radar gun. You know, you type mm-hmm. in which, which tag you're looking for and you just start walking down the aisles and it'll start beeping as you get close. And it'll go beep, 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 beep. When oh, you're right wow. It's pretty neat to think about. Um, so, you know, supporting other types of businesses who want to support the cannabis industry is going to be big too. Yeah, that's so smart. So right now you said you've been out on your own for 10 months. Are you still solo? Have you hired help yet? What's your team structure look like or your, I guess, yeah, so structure? It's funny. <laughs> we're, we're kind of having this conversation at a perfect time. So I'm currently solo, but I am. I'm at the point where I need help. I'm I'm starting to fill up my book. And honestly, like, you know, I don't want to be doing the spreadsheets for the rest of my career. I want to build a team. I want to build a big firm. I don't want it to just be me, you know, something that I can pass on to someone later down the road or sell at an appropriate Mm -hmm. time. But, you know, I'm currently looking for a part-time contractor to come help out and, 
you know, I put an ad out there on LinkedIn saying that this person would really be flexible at helping with accounting projects as well as helping with internal process improvements, you know, updating the CRM system, keeping track of who we're talking to in meetings and stuff like that. So I, I guess I could kind of pick your brain a little bit. I know like offshore versus onshore is a very hot topic in the industry that I hear on a lot of different podcasts, but what has been your experience in taking that leap and finding that first person? We'll be back after a quick break. This episode of the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast is sponsored by my brand new free training, The Ultimate Guide to Creating a Profitable Bookkeeping Business. In just one hour, you will learn three keys to creating and launching a profitable bookkeeping business. We will map out your path to creating a bookkeeping or accounting business that keeps you in control of your time, priorities, and expertise from someone who built a six-figure firm on part-time hours. That's right, you can stay in control of your time, keep family as your priority, and serve your clients well. It just takes a little strategy up front, and I'm going to help you with that during this free training. So head over to the show notes to sign up now for the next training and find out how you can choose the work you do, kick imposter syndrome to the curb, use tech to be super efficient, which all leads to a profitable business. Just head on over to ambitiousbookkeeper.com slash training, and I will see you there. Yeah, so my first, the first person I found, I actually had her on the podcast a few episodes back. I think it was our hundredth, it was our hundredth episode, actually. She's been with me almost since the beginning. So about where you're at right now, I don't know how many clients you have. Maybe that's, if you want to share that, you can, but I hired her when I only had five clients. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> because I've always wanted to make sure that I'm only working part-time in the business yep. uh, because I had little ones at home. And so I more built this as a flexibility to continue my career. And so I got to this point where I had enough clients where I was meet, you know, I was meeting with every client and doing the bookkeeping and, and doing all of like the, the analysis and the presenting financials and stuff like that. That's always been like, I've always had that in my services and it got to the point where I was like, I don't really have enough time to be meeting with the clients doing the, you know, the analysis and doing all the bookkeeping. So I either need to hire a babysitter or I need to hire someone in the business. And at that time, it was actually easier to find someone in the business. Plus I'm not giving up more time with my kids. So that's what I did. And I, I didn't know her personally, but we were connected in like a Facebook group and someone else had posted something about like work at home jobs and things like that. And I, you know, I answered like, I, you know, I'm a book, I do bookkeeping. I have an accounting degree and da, 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 da. So it just depends on what your experience is. And she answered to that thread because she owned a farm and did the bookkeeping for the farm, but didn't really have any formal training. And so we started talking and, and she was like, yeah, I would, I would be interested. Cause I was at that point, I was like, I'm kind of looking for help. So if you have experience, yeah, <laughs> I'm willing to mentor. And I don't believe that you have to have an accounting background to learn bookkeeping, as long as you have like a certain level of attention to detail and desire to learn more. And so that's how I connected with my first team member. And she's been a contractor ever since, but she's very much part of the team. 
So nice. Yeah, I can I, certainly I like resonate. To... Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. Go ahead. I was going to say, I can certainly resonate with a lot of what you say, um, especially having trying to build the practice around little ones. So we have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn, and all three of them are busy season babies. So they're all <laughs> born in February and March. So it's been certainly chaotic. But no, I mean, that's, and you kind of said something, you know, reaching out to people virtually or part of groups online. You know, I, I think that the online community now has grown tremendously in the last year or two years. And there's tons of people out there that you don't realize that are out there. And it's all about putting something online, looking for someone to respond to a post or help or something like that. And I'm sure you can find amazing people. But the other thing that you mentioned was people without traditional accounting degrees. I mean, the resources in the accounting world right now are so scarce that people need to get creative hiring. And I am certainly not opposed to having someone who doesn't have an accounting degree. And yes, yeah. My biggest thing is someone who can work with the technology systems that we use because the accounting can be taught. I mean, you can take the QuickBooks certification course or even a course through your local community college to get the accounting 101. But, you know, having that understanding of how tech systems work, being able to efficient, efficiently use a computer, I think is more beneficial than, you know, understanding the technical guidance or something like that on, yeah. on the bookkeeping level. Yeah, I agree. The having finding someone that's willing to problem solve and troubleshoot systems is going to be probably more valuable than yeah. someone with technical accounting knowledge because for now anyways all of that stuff is going to come up to you anyway. Like you're sure. going to want the final approval on that type of stuff anyway, but you need people that are willing to roll up their sleeves. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, something that happens all too often in QuickBooks is the bank feed breaks, all right? Yeah. So how do you fix it? You you talk with QuickBooks support or you talk with the banking support, you refresh, you get the login credentials. And you know, knowing that someone can handle that on the fly is great rather than you know elevating it to the business owner level when he, may be, he or she may be working on something else and it pulls their attention away and it just becomes a mess that- yeah. Two people duplicating efforts on one thing that could be handled fairly easily. Yeah. So your question on offshore versus onshore, I don't have experience with hiring offshore labor. I have kept our operations in the US and I'm not opposed to offshore labor at all. It's just been how my business has grown at this point because of mm -hmm. the the connections that I've made. Like I I there are so many especially women out there who have left their careers and they, they have the background and the knowledge, but they don't want to work full time. So like there's an abundance of those people out there. There's also for you, I would say, work with recruiting at your local community college and the accounting program, make a connection with some accounting professors or the Dean or whatever. I've done that here too. And then one of the universities does like job fairs. Oh, nice. And and you can set up your own booth and stuff. So depending on how fast you grow, that might yeah. be something that you need to do as well. Um, so and, is your the person you had just mentioned? Is that person local to you? Like, do you have the ability to meet up, or are they completely no? She, all my my whole team is. I guess they call it distributed. So I have nice. a couple people in Florida. I have she's in Idaho, and I have someone in California. 
And then I'm in Arizona. I, I did for a short time have a local employee that I did uh, recruit from the community college, um, but she still worked virtually. I would meet up with her occasionally, but yeah, okay. um, it's it's been fun. <laughs> yeah. So that's something that I'm sort of struggling with. You know, I I have no problem. I, and I pride myself on being a tech forward type firm. I have no problem working with people virtually. Um, but I, I'm struggling about whether my first hire, I want someone who may be a little more local, who maybe I can meet up with once a month for coffee or lunch yeah. and handle something out. Or if I'm working on an audit locally, you know, and we need to be on site for either interviews or test work or something like that, or a board presentation, having someone who could tag along with me would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll see, you know, I'm open to anything. I'm, I, I want to grow, but I want to grow smart. You know, I don't want to get too overwhelmed and drop the ball and deliverables to my clients or, you know, even damaging my reputation. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, something good to be conscious about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Means you have integrity. So kudos. <laughs> <laughs> so you're currently at the point where you're, about ready to hire. So the other um, tip I would offer if you don't decide to go with offshore is, I mean, you're on a podcast that tons of bookkeepers and accountants are listening to. So very <laughs> true. Very your true. website in the show notes. And if one of you has experience in cannabis and is willing to contract with another firm, then you might have someone listening today that wants to work with you. Yeah, that would be <laughs> tremendous. Yeah. Or even, you know, someone who has experience and can maybe guide me on business development efforts in the cannabis industry and how, you know, they've gained clients or even on the opposite side, if they need help or some sort of expertise on their cannabis projects, they can certainly reach out to me. Yeah. Awesome. So the other, okay. So I think I've covered most of the questions that I want to make sure I ask all of my niche firm owners. And I think the only one that's left is and this might be kind of difficult for you to answer because I know how, <laughs> how I was with pricing in my first year, but do you have a minimum price for like monthly accounting services? And maybe you do for like different, because you have a couple different industries that you work with. But the reason I asked this question before I force you to answer it <laughs> <laughs> is because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of our listeners who are thinking about starting a bookkeeping business, or maybe they just started like super brand new, even, mm -hmm. you know, less than a year. And there's not a lot of people out there willing to share what they charge. And I think it does the whole industry a disservice because then if, if someone doesn't know what they're able to charge for certain services, you know, it ends up degrading the pricing that others can charge. If you just don't know what other people are charging, it's really hard to price your own services. And at the beginning, that was something I really struggled with because especially if you come from corporate, you're like, well, I made $50 an hour in corporate. So that's what I'll charge as a bookkeeper. <laughs> yeah, certainly. No, pricing um, is, that's a great question. Pricing is such a hot topic. And as you know, there's so many so much information out there on so many different podcasts and interviews and stuff like that, that, you know, it can certainly become overwhelming about how you want to structure things. You know, I've heard different ways of going about structuring pricing for that monthly accounting or bookkeeping. Generally, 
I will offer up a menu or a slate of standard services that I provide. I really don't like to go below $500 a month. And part of that, you know, that may sound expensive to some startups or whatever, but on a smaller scale, you know, I'm, I'm one person right now. I have minimal overhead, which is great, but I don't want to penalize my clients for when I do bring people on and have overhead. So for them to absorb a huge price shock when that happens would not be fair. So, you know, I'm starting at a level where I think I can slowly increase the fees over time. And it's not going to be such a sticker shock to them because you always hear the story of clients changing accountants because one year they just got an astronomical bill out of nowhere. They need to increase their fees significantly. So I think at the bare minimum for a small startup, $500 a month, which is six grand a year. I That sits about right with me. And, and I don't really mm -hmm. have a scientific answer to that. I mean, I know obviously what my overhead is and sort of the hours it would go into a job like that, but it's sort of a gut feeling too. And also, you know, I've, I think that's working for me right now because I have not had many rejections on that price, yeah. which is been good. And someone argue, say, well, if no one's rejecting, then you probably should increase your fees more. <laughs> um, but also too, I mean, you don't really know what you're getting into until you see what's in their QuickBooks files or their zero files or whatever system yeah. you're working with. So I always put a clause in there that I evaluate the pricing every three or six months so that if I'm spending a ton of time every month with this client outside of, you know, the initial onboarding month, then I do have the ability to renegotiate the fees. Yeah. I think that's a good clause for everyone to, to have. And the other point I want to make, because this is a trap I fell into is once I started doing like the flat fee package pricing, I was like, well, now I don't need to track time because it doesn't matter. <laughs> But it matters even more now. It does. It does. Oh my gosh. Tracking uh, time is such a pain in our industry. It, it is. And there's yeah. so much like back and forth about it. But the truth of the matter is, is like one of the things that you said is you, you have an understanding of how much time goes into a certain level of service. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the hard part to figure out as a new bookkeeper. And unfortunately, you're just not going to figure it out until you get in there and you do it and you screw it up. Um, but after a, a couple months or a couple clients, you'll, you'll start to get a feel of the time involved yep. with certain types of industries and certain types of business models. And that's where having a niche is really helpful because yeah. hopefully also you're specializing in a certain software, you're able to kind of streamline your process and, um, and you are able to confidently say, this is my minimum price for all these types of businesses or this one type of business that I, I work in because I know the work, the minimum level of work that's going to be involved in the services that I'm offering. So yeah. I think that's where people need to focus on getting at the Certainly. beginning of their business. It's not necessarily about figuring out the right price, but more understanding what it is you're offering and the time involved in doing that. And, and then the yeah. price will fall into place. Yeah. And that's a great point. And something that I've done too, which has worked out well for me is I provide a standard set of services, which is, this is what is included in your fat, flat fee. And on top of that, I have some ancillary services that are built out hourly, should you need them, you know, like people need an annual budget, 
people need projections people need liaison with their tax preparer or, or you know their banks for collecting documents if they're you know going through financing or something like that so I give them a menu of what's included in this flat fee and then also give them a menu of other services that I offer based on my experience that they can choose and that will be billed out hourly. So that has certainly been productive for me. Have you found many clients like after they, cause you give that to them with your initial proposal or with your initial engagement letter? Is that how, how you do that? Yeah, so I give that to them upfront in my proposal and then sort of give them a range of what I think their fee is going to be and what that all includes. And then, you know, they'll provide me with last year's tax return and their current month balance sheet and P&L, just so I can see sort of what's on their books currently. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we'll lock into a price. But, you know, I also, I want to be a partner with these businesses. I want to grow with them. I want to help them grow. I want to be a, a valued resource to them. So I don't want to limit myself to just this box of services you know, I want them to pick up the phone and call me of, hey, we're raising capital and we need a five-year projection. Can you help with this? Yeah, yeah. great. You know, we need a 13-week cash flow because we're going to be running tight here because we need to purchase a new piece of equipment. Awesome. I'm glad you called me. And, and that's really the value that I'm bringing to some of these small businesses. Yeah. So when you provide that kind of list and like price list, basically of, of additional services, when they sign on with you, have you found many clients reaching back out in a few months and saying, Hey, I, I need this extra service. And they already know they're going to pay for it. And they're totally like, they're just like, I just know I need it. And they already yeah. know the price. So have you had a lot of people take you up on adding those on? Yeah, certainly. And honestly, like it's nothing that they probably think of in the moment. It's just natural through conversation. And, you know, this, this happens all the time in our industry where a lot of people look to their accountants or CPAs as handling everything related to finance. And they call you, can you do this? Can you do this? And it's easier to have that conversation and be very transparent on the front end than to be stuck in a fixed fee contract without having that conversation and then billing them extra and then being mad. So I always talk about it up front. And then when that request does come through, I'll just remind them like, hey, just want to let you know, like, this is outside of the scope of our monthly accounting. So we'll be hourly and, you know, refer them back to the engagement letter for that hourly rate. So, yeah. And you don't find any pushback with that? No, because, you know, they're coming to me with a need, right? Yeah. And, and if it's not me, I mean, I think that I'm priced fairly appropriately for what the market's going to bear. So, you know, if be harder for them to go find another CPA for this one project, yeah. which may be at a higher price than me. And I already have the intimate knowledge of their books and records and how their business runs. So, you know, it's, that's, like I said before, I want to be that valued partner to them where they do come to me with those requests. Yeah. I love that strategy of, of offering you know, even if like, whether it's an hourly fee for these additional services, or you have fixed fees for these additional services and what's included in those, like giving that to them on the front end, having the conversation with them. Cause most as a business owner, like this is something you start to realize after you start, like maybe you don't realize it when you're first going out on your own, because this is the first time you've had a business or whatever. Um, but as you grow in your business and you have to hire, you know, outside contractors or service providers to get things done in your business, I always know, like, I know I need, I'm going to be charged for this. So like, 
Yeah, certainly. It's so much easier if we, if I already know on the front end of working with someone that like that's an additional service. Great. I'm willing to pay for it. <laughs> no, for sure. And, and honestly, you don't want them to assume that something that, you know, like a five-year projection or an annual budget is included already in the fee. Right. Um, but also like it may open their mind to something that they didn't know they needed, right? Yes. Like, you know, a 13-week cash flow or yeah. a annual budget, which they've been struggling to come up with for the last year and didn't know that someone else could help them with it. Um, things like that, that, you know, you can portray the value of those things to them and why they need it or why it would be beneficial to them. Yeah. So do you, when you're working with a client, have you noticed, like, do you have to, do you ever remind them of the additional services that you offer? Or is it more of like, that kind of comes up organically when, when you're meeting with them and they're like, I'm really struggling with this one thing. And you're like, Oh, I mean, I do that. I can help you with it. I gave you the list of these items. (laughs) Yeah, no, it, it is more organic. And I mean, all of my clients, I like to keep in constant communication with. And I know I don't have a regular cadence and I talk to them every month. I mean, I talk to all my clients multiple times a month, but with my standard bookkeeping or month end close type clients, I talk to them at close to the end of every month to let them remind them, no, to let them know that I will be getting started with their accounting soon. And then I'll have a follow-up call after them, after the books are all closed and just let them know, you know, how the month ended up, provide them a financial package, profitability reports, where they stand compared to last month or even last year. So with all of those conversations, it comes up like, hey, we may be bringing on another investor. We may be fundraising here because we want to take this to the next level, or we've taken on like a series A investment from this private equity group. So a lot of these things happen in the natural conversation, just learning about the business. I mean, they're not going to, they're probably not going to come up on your first, second, or maybe even third phone call. But as you start to develop these relationships and get more ingrained with their business, you can understand what their needs are and maybe sort of suggest things like, Hey, listen, I see your cash is running a little bit low this month. Can we add on maybe a a cash flow forecast for the next six months so we know where we're going to stand and that we can make payroll every month or every two weeks, whatever the cadence is, so that it is not such a headache or stressful event when the cash does get low. Yeah. Yeah. So, so smart. Thank you for sharing that. I know, I mean, it wasn't really on necessarily on topic, but like I warned you, I'm like, (laughs) the the conversation can really go anywhere. It's just- No, (laughs) it's great. And I I mean, I hope I provided some value. I just- Absolutely. I I know it's not groundbreaking stuff, but it's, you know, stuff that I find value in hearing from other accounting professionals on these various podcasts, including yours, and that hopefully, you know, someone can take some benefit to anything we talked about here. Yeah. I mean, I have some ideas that I want to implement now. So it's like, I I selfishly like to interview other people so I can make my own business better too. It's like, if, if I find value in it, I know other people are going to, and, and that's really what I'm trying to do here is like add value to the industry, let people know what's possible, give them the inspiration to implement things, how they want to do it. There's so many ways to, to run your business and just to, to know that someone else is doing something and and they're successful with it, then yeah, certainly 
Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, you know, looking back a year ago, I was so scared to jump out and do this. And, you know, everyone always says, Oh, I wish I would have done it sooner. And I do wish that, but also the relationships I've made over the last 10, 12 years and the experiences I've had in both the top five firm, as well as a small regional firm, they've come back tenfold to me. I mean, a lot of my clients have come through the relationships I've made over the past 10 years, whether it be former clients, former colleagues, and then again, networking with other accounting firms in my area and just letting people know I'm open for business. I mean, one of my biggest sticking points with other accounting firms is that I don't do tax, right? If if we, if we I network with a tax concentrated firm, maybe not tax only firm, that's a good relationship for them because I can handle the books. They know the books of their clients are being prepared by a CPA and they're going to be clean by the time they get to them. And then, you know, we don't really have to worry about competing and stealing clients from each other. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Okay. I have one. I think I just have one more question for you sure. uh, because we've talked about a lot about you getting out there and talking to people and getting your name out there. Are you an introvert? <laughs> Or yes. an extrovert. I, I I don't know. I <laughs> I hate to sort of like lean on one side or the other, but I'm definitely an introvert. I would say I'm an introvert in social situations, you know, going to a networking event, which is tough because, you know, I like meeting people. I find myself more of an extrovert in a one-on-one situation, right? A yeah. one-on-one coffee or a lunch. I can hold a conversation and I do well with that. But if I get into a large networking scene, I kind of stick to my own and, you know, find one person who I either know or have just met and, and kind of keep the conversation small. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just curious because I know that's one thing that a lot of our listeners struggle with is being introverted and, and wondering like how to even have those conversations and like, yeah, not really wanting to go out and do that. And, and that's what I've found too, is like I, in big networking situations, I need a wing person or know that there's going to be someone there that I know at least mm -hmm. to just kind of get comfortable and then I'm okay. But yeah. So do you have any words of advice for someone who knows they need to do this work because building relationships is really yeah. the, the way you're going to get clients, but they're really holding themselves back by identifying as an introvert. <laughs> Honestly, that's uh, the cliche thing to say here. It'd be like, just do it, you know, take a chance, get out there. A lot of the relationships I've made, you know, obviously through my past work experience, but also just connecting with people on LinkedIn, right? I've made a ton of connections, you know, like this connection that we're at right now, having this podcast, mm -hmm. very scary, but just get out there and try it. You never know what's going to happen. And honestly, getting involved in your local community with things that you like, you know, one thing that I do is I coach my four-year-old soccer team, right? So we've gotten really close with a lot of the parents on the team. And those parents are now CFOs and business owners who know other people who know a friend who has a startup and just really evaluating your current network and not trying to sell anyone, right? Just yeah. one of the best piece of pieces of advice I've gotten to someone who has acted as somewhat of a mentor for me is, you know, people aren't going to do business with you unless they like you, they know you, and they trust you, right? And the only way to do that is to be yourself around people, right? Yeah. Be a genuine person and not 
not go out there with the cheesy sales pitches and things like that. Yeah. Or feeling pressured to do that. So it's like, exactly. especially if you're an introvert and you know that like, you don't like slimy sales, like don't even feel <laughs> obligated. Like, oh my gosh. Why yeah. is that? Like just go and have a conversation. And I think for me, what makes me really uncomfortable is I know there's going to be people there being that way. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm yeah. trying to avoid. A hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> Like just think about going to buy a car that gives me anxiety. I don't want to be sold. I don't want to have yeah. cheesy sales pitches and the sales tricks done to me. So I would much rather buy a car over the internet than step foot on a dealership and deal with all and that. And so, that's why we have Carvana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But no, I mean, just, just being a genuine person and sort of cultivating the relationships that you already have is going to come back to you and, and letting people know that your doors are open. I mean, you would be very surprised even even one post on LinkedIn, how many people are going to see it? But on the opposite side, how many people aren't going to see it? How many people don't know that your doors are open or that you're doing this certain thing on the side and trying to build yeah. your business? So keep reiterating that, putting things out there multiple times on social media platforms and keep reminding people about what you're doing. And that's really come back and been very beneficial for me. Yeah. Oh, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Is this your very first podcast interview? It is my very first podcast. Hey. I was very, very <laughs> nervous to join, but I'm very excited that you asked me to be on. Yeah. Well, thank you for spending the time, taking the time to respond back to me and let me ask all these invasive questions. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it's been, been an great. absolute pleasure. If someone wants to connect with you, if they're interested in working for you or just learning more, maybe there's a business owner listening that needs your help. Yeah. Where is the best place to connect with you? I would say the best place is either through my website, which is cogginscpa.com or through LinkedIn at Sean Coggins. Um, I'm not big on the other social media platforms yet. I, I don't really know how all the algorithms work yet, but uh, maybe one day. I, I know there's a lot of people who are big in, on Twitter. Tax Twitter is out mm. there, but I, I yeah. haven't made the leap out there yet. Yeah, so. I'm not a... I, I, I'm not a Twitter fan. I don't <laughs> hang out there. I spend most of most of my efforts on LinkedIn and, and Instagram, but yeah. yeah. Well, you're ahead of me. I haven't dove, <laughs> dove into the Instagram I don't think it really like it might not standpoint. make sense for some industries like, yeah, you know, so I try to reiterate that for people is like not to feel the need to be everywhere and you're get the you're going to get a bigger bang for your buck and your time with building relationships. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for listening. If you've made it this far and make sure you go and connect with Sean on LinkedIn. And Sean, thank you again. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who helps make this podcast possible. Content and interviews are produced by me, Serena Shu. Our intro and outro music is written and performed by my brother, Ian Gilliam. Editing is also by Ian using his awesome sound engineering skills along with Descript software. Hosting and publishing is by Buzzsprout. And you can check out the show notes for links to all of these amazing resources and resources mentioned in the episode. Embrace and...